This is Family Twist, a podcast about astonishing adoption stories and finding family via DNA magic. I'm Kendall. And I'm Corey. And we've been inseparable partners in life since 03, 04, 05, also known as March 4th, 2005. In January 2018, our found family journey took us 3,000 miles from the San Francisco Bay Area to New England, where we now live near my biological father, two half-siblings, and their families. We love being near them all, and the adventure continues. Well, we made it by a kitten's whisker, but we wanted to acknowledge the fact that this is National Adoption Month. And so here we are at the end of November, and we thought we would talk a little bit about Kendall's adventure in adoption. We've, we've been over this somewhat before. I think it was early in the very first season. But we thought we'd talk a little bit about what his adoption experience was like with his parents. So, Kendall, do you want to take us way back when um, and talk about Betty and Rubel's decision for adoption? Yeah, um, some listeners might remember, but uh, because I've, as Corey alluded to, I've told a little bit of this story before, but uh, my mom and dad had been married, they got married in 1952, my adoptive parents, and they immediately started trying to have kids, apparently, and by the time my mother turned 30, she'd already had two miscarriages, and the doctors were really concerned that she would never be able to bring a baby to full term. I don't really know the details behind that because, to my knowledge, none of her siblings suffered from anything like that. Uh, she had two sisters who both had children, so, you know, I, do, I don't know the what was really behind that. And it was such a personal thing that she told me that much, but I really don't know, again, more details. But what I do know is that go living through those two miscarriages was apparently really difficult on both of them, my, my mom and dad. And uh, I know my dad well enough to know that he would have, if my mother were suffering uh, emotionally or physically, he would have been very upset about that. So he told me as I got older that he really worked with the doctor to convince her that, you know, she shouldn't keep trying to have uh, a, a baby on her own physically. And so that's when they started talking about, you know, the option of adopting. And so officially they uh, reached out to the state of Arkansas to, you know, express interest uh, early on. So this would have been 1964. So they would have already been married 12 years by the time they made the decision to start that process. Uh, things were much different back then. They felt really uh, strongly about going through the state agency as well, because many of their friends suggested that they go through religious organizations, and they didn't want to specifically because they felt like, A, that was intended for people who um, not necessarily could afford it more, but probably had more disposable income to throw at that process than my parents wanted to. And they felt like the, the children at the state institutions might be harder to place. So that was kind of their logic and why they they wanted to go through the state 
but they were looking for an infant. Absolutely. My mother, I think because of the miscarriages, really only wanted an infant. Not that, of course, they understood that there were older children, toddlers, you know, who were adoptable and that need was there. I just think maternally, she was very um, headstrong about wanting to experience all the things that a brand new parent, you know, experiences with a baby. And, um, you know, do I sometimes think that was selfish a little bit, but I, but I can't know what, you know, a woman who has had two miscarriages would feel. So I don't judge her about that. I just, you know, obviously it worked out well for me that that's what they wanted. Uh, but because I was premature myself, so it felt to them like they were getting me at the time that I should have been born. So, you know, for them, it felt very much like they were getting me at the right time. I mean, obviously you don't remember being an infant, <laughs> but what was it like uh, for them bringing you into their extended family? Oh, it was, uh, everybody tells me that it was seamless. And I definitely felt like it was as soon as I was a toddler, because again, uh, listeners might not remember, but I don't ever remember not knowing that I was adopted. Uh, it was talked about openly. It was talked about um, honestly and in a very, very positive light. And so there was no stigma in my family. Uh, we could talk about one of my cousins when we were teenagers. We got into an argument and uh, she was right around my age and she told me, you're not even my cousin anyway. But apart from that one incident in my life in general, nobody, you know, treated me any differently. And in quite the opposite. Um, I was the youngest grandchild on both sides of the families, which were huge families. So I felt sort of special in that respect because I knew I'd always be the youngest and, uh, or thought I would be just because my parents were very young in their sibling families. So, um, and I am in fact still the youngest uh, grandchild for my adoptive families. So, you know, I, I was made to feel really special because of that as well. And although I don't remember them, my father's father and my mother's mother were the two grandparents that were still living when I was born. And even though they were both dead by the time I was two, I hear only wonderful things about the fact that, you know, my mother's mother just doted on me and, you know, loved to visit our house more often than she used to, you know, because of there was a baby in the house. And so I feel like it was a really unifying thing for both my parents. So how did they go about explaining to a toddler um, what adoption meant? Well, you know, when I would see pregnant women uh, when I was two or three or whatever, and I'd point to their bellies, you know, and say, did, and then I'd say to my mom, you know, oh, you carried me like that or something like that. She was, matter of fact, she wasn't the type that was going to say, well, we'll talk about that in a few years. She just said, no, honey, you know, some mommies do that and some don't have to. Some mommies get the babies after, you know, they're born. So, you know, when you're that young, you don't make the, you don't understand exactly what that means. But as I got older, I quickly, you know, figured out that, um, you know, my parents that I looked at every day and loved dearly, you know, that I was not biologically connected to them, you know, at all. Um, but again, because we had family friends, we had 
my parents had two very, very good, uh, two couples that they were very, very good friends with that had also adopted. So, you know, it just, it felt really natural uh, to be surrounded by that energy. And quite honestly, when I think about it, but before I started uh, school, like kindergarten, most of the experiences that I had were with my parents' friends that were couples that also had adopted adopted children. So it felt very natural to, to be to, to live that life. How does it get brought up to friends that you know didn't know or aren't don't have adopted kids in the family? Well it's a good point because my hometown is tiny, uh, Gosnell, Arkansas, and Everybody in that tiny town, of course, knew that my parents adopted. It was big news, you know, um, that was exciting and, and everybody knew. But because we were an air-based town, there was this constant influx of people in and out, right? So people that um, my mom and dad met when I was six probably didn't necessarily know me, you know, when I was born. So there was that constant... Um, I won't call it gossip. I'll call it news, you know, uh, where people would say matter of factly in front of my parents, you know, I'm sorry, in front of me to my parents. Oh, I just heard that you guys adopted Kendall. So it's a good thing that I did know everything because it was so commonly mentioned um, in this town, you know, because I think it was maybe to some of the people that were the influx uh, from the airbase, maybe it was novel to them. Maybe they thought it was different, you know, but um, my parents always knew that I didn't necessarily look like they did. So that explanation probably needed to be there. Uh, so nobody ever really hesitated to, to mention it. It was, and in fact, at our church, which we were a very, very big part of, it was, you know, commonly talked about. And in fact, what I liked about our minister back then is that he held my parents up as a great example of people who, quote, did the right thing in, you know, finding a baby that needed a home. So I, I mean, again, I, I, it's so weird when I hear people who have sad stigma attached to being adopted because I just, honestly, I have never felt that way. Never one moment. And I don't know if you're in the minority. I just know, you know, when I was a kid, it was not something that you heard about very often. And if you did, if you heard like a kid in your class was adopted, then it was just, I guess it was just an unusual thing like, oh, okay. And, and not really understanding what that meant, not, you know, being a kid and not having the backstory. And then of course, you know, I mean, it happened in my house and I'm sure it happened in a lot of houses with multiple siblings where it was like a common thing to tease your younger siblings that they were adopted. One of them was adopted. I mean, my brother was a very sensitive little kid and I was a jerk. So that definitely was one of the things that I, the ammunition that I used on him was that he was adopted. Why that would be a negative thing. I, I don't know. Cause well, I mean, ultimately you're saying like you were chosen. You right. Know? <laughs> right. And you know, I guess it's a way to exclude people. Right. But, but being an only child, that was never going to be a thing for me. Right. There was nobody else. There was my parents didn't have a biological child to get compared to. 
at all. Right. So it is a different dynamic. And I think I do kind of think about that in relation to blended families where they contain biological children as well as adopted children, you know, that hopefully those adopted children are not, you know, that isn't said to them at different points. But even when it was said to me by a few hateful people at school, it rolled right off my back because again, there was zero stigma for me attached with being adopted. So I didn't care if you called me adopted, I'd say, and what's your point? Your mama's ugly and you are too. So I see where you get it, you know? So, (laughs) you know, that, that's just, that's who I was. And, and I, I, yeah, it's so, I'm so fortunate. I can tell that, you know, just from listening to other people's stories about how fortunate I was that the town, that my parents, friends, that my church, that in general, my school, you know, were just all really accepting environments for me. Right. Well, and it's been eye-opening, I think, for both of us as we've been doing this podcast, talking to people who, you know, are a little bit younger than us or our age or even older or even, you know, 15, 20 years older that have these discoveries of adoption later in life. And it is devastating to them. Mm-hmm. It, it rocks their world and, and the journeys they try to go through to, to heal. You know, mm-hmm. it's just been, we've had several of them, you know, this season alone already. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I, I have to step back and think about the fact that I have known about my biological family now for five years. And it's interesting how connected I feel. So in some ways I can start to understand how an adopted person who didn't know they were adopted, you know, loses identity, right? Right. They they feel like they're part of this family that they think is their biological family. And when they suddenly find find out that they're not, you know, truly connected to those people that way, I could see where, you know, it would feel weird. Like if, if I woke up tomorrow and everybody in my life said, uh, just joking, you're really not a Clark, you know, um, because that's my biological father's family, you know, I, it would be devastating, right? Because I've identified with these people and I connect with them in a, in a possibly different way than I ever did with the Austins or the Montgomerys. Right. Um, so be, because... When I was growing up, knowing I was adopted, I was never looking for physical similarities, right? Uh, I never, I didn't care, you know, I thought my mother was beautiful and my dad was handsome. So I didn't care, you know, that, that I wasn't biologically related to them. But, you know, as I got older and sometimes I'd be out with my dad and people would run into him and say, you know, they probably just forgot that, it, you know, I was adopted and they say, oh, I can see the similarities. And we would just look at each other and laugh um, because he was so physically um, dark. You know, he he had some Native American in his background. So it's so inter- interesting. And, and but now when Corey and I look at the photographs of my uncle Sean, my biological father's brother, um, man, it would be hard to deny being part of this family biologically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you brought up the blended family situation. And I think that's another unfortunate thing that we've heard about since we've started this podcast is, you know, sort of that Cinderella situation of the adopted kids not being treated equal to the, you know, 
biological kids. And to me, that's just unforgivable because adoption is not a, you know, like let's run to the grocery store and, Oh, there's a kid for adoption. Yeah. And on sale too, let's pick it up. It's, it's not a, you know, a quick and easy decision. So to have that happen, you know, to kids or grown adults is just unforgivable, I think. Well, and I completely agree with you, and I cannot relate to that because it's such a sacred bond that a parent has with a child, you know, that that, that should never be treated lightly. But what I do think and what I've read about, and I, I do not mean to stereotype foster parents in any way. I know there are you know, many, many good foster parents out there. But I do think there are some people who start out as foster parents and are in it for the money, you know, in it for the extra cash that they get to, quote, take care of the child. And incidentally, they end up adopting. So I do see how in some families that does happen, you know, where that child was never intended by that family to be treated as a biological child. So that was not the case with my parents. They got nothing in support from the state. You know, yes, they did use the state service to to adopt me, but there was no continuing, you know, payment. Quite the opposite. I was a, a, a sick baby and they thankfully had really good um, medical insurance because I was nothing more than an expense to them till I was two, you know, so um but but I do I do hear some horror stories about foster situations that are negative, and um, shame on anybody that does that. Shame on you. There are lots of other ways to get money, and that should not be the way that you do it. Um, you know, for 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 bad reasons. Right, right. Well, that gets me thinking about you know we've been together for a thousand and a half years now, and over the years, you know, many a friend or family member, you know when are you going to have a baby? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, are you guys thinking about adoption? And of course we've talked about it and thought about it. And, you know, our lives have been unusual in the sense that we haven't been in one place, you know, consistently. So, you know, we were together for a few years in St. Louis and then we bounced to California. And I think the California situation would have been tough because of just the space, mm -hmm. you know, like how, how do you, you know, we would we've had the space for a child, you know, and we were, you know, in challenging jobs, um, mm. you know, now that we're in New England and, you know, housing is more affordable than it is in California. You know, we've got a house that's, you know, too big for two people, maybe not two people and eight animals like we have, but <laughs> still we have four bedrooms, you know, right? <laughs> and we're sleeping in one with most of the animals. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it is something that we've... Um, thought a little bit more about especially as we've you know as we've gotten older like we're probably getting closer to our final opportunity to do something like fostering and you know probably not an 18 month old it's probably more like you know a grade school or, or middle school kid who you know needs needs that needs that yeah. you know family stability and um so literally just yesterday kendall mentioned to me something he saw online um the human rights campaign is putting on a virtual event uh, adoption themed tomorrow that we're going to attend and we'll follow up, you know, on social media on how it goes. But I thought it was kind of interesting because it is um, talking about the importance of supporting uh, LGBTQ plus youth in the foster care system. And, you know, we know a couple people in social work and 
I don't know, this might be the event that sort of sparks us on that journey. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and just shameless plugs uh, for this. Uh, check it out uh, on Twitter, HRC, Human Rights Campaign, um, on Facebook, Human Rights Campaign, on uh, YouTube, it's HRC Media. So just check this out. Um, Corey and I have a really uh, special connection to the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, we worked for them in the San Francisco area for um, years and only on a part-time basis, but um, the organization means a lot to us. And um, and in fact, the ceremony when we uh, did our uh, domestic partnership um, ceremony was actually in the original Human Rights Campaign Action Center in the Castro District in San Francisco. So um, means a lot to us. And if I think it's cool that they are spotlighting this national um, adoption month uh, event. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the episodes that we're hoping to put together here in the next um, couple of weeks, not so much a twist, but really about, um, you know, chosen family. And that's kind of how, you know, we, we experienced a lot of that when we moved to California because we didn't have any family nearby. Well, we had actually, we did have, you know, some cousins and stuff that uh, fortunately we got to hang out with, but not the the breadth of family that we had in St. Louis. And even before I moved there, so it was, we won't tell the whole story, but it was super fast. We visited and within six weeks, um, you know, Kendall was on his way there. So mm-hmm. fortunately we're the place to stay. But um, when we first visited there, we stopped by the Human Rights Campaign Action Center just to check it out. In small world, the manager happened to be somebody who I was acquainted with through the media in St. Louis. And so already there was a connection. And he introduced us to a wonderful man named Colton that uh, Kendall became super fast friends with. And Kendall started working there in the weekends, like right after arriving in uh, the Bay Area. The, the first weekend after <laughs> I arrived, I, I worked Monday through Friday at my new job that was a transfer for me from St. Louis to San Francisco. And then on Saturday morning, I showed up for my sh- first shift at the HRC. Right. And then when I was there in January, I immediately started there too. So it was, you know, a cool way for us to get to know the city together because Kendall and I would often work, you know, the shift weekend shifts together and um, a great way to really get into the community and start meeting these folks who would become our chosen family that we would share holidays with. So um, look for an upcoming up. Eh, look for an upcoming episode on our holiday adventures with our uh, our holiday orphans, as we like to call them. Mm. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see what um, the HRC this this event uh, kind of kind of information has to offer. You know, we've focused on I think the the DNA aspect of this uh, found family stuff a lot in episodes and. Maybe we've neglected the adoption side a little bit. So it just, I think just Kendall seeing this tweet about the event kind of got us both thinking that we need to be more involved in the adoption community. And so we've started our research to see where, um, put our money where our mouth is and see where we can uh, do some philanthropy around adoption because, you know, without state adoption, um, you know, we wouldn't be sitting next to each other right now Mm -hmm. entertaining you all. And I think that, you know, of course, it means a lot to us to have the LGBTQ plus, you know, youth 
being supported by any event. Uh, not that every adoption agency isn't worthy of some recognition. I just mean, of course, for us, you know, that that's particularly important. The LGBTQ plus community and animal rights have been super, super important. And that's where we really put our dedication, you know, towards donating, you know, time and money. So would it be rewarding to be able to help a kid in the community who's been thrown out of their house or another horrible situation? Absolutely. You know, would we be open to fostering? And if it were a great situation, adding somebody to our family? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, it, lots of people, people are told that they'd be great parents. Um, and, but we're told that often enough that it makes me feel good about, <laughs> about the possibility. Right. Yeah. Um, and trust me, we see examples of people that aren't great parents. So in part, part of me wants to, <laughs> to, to be the right person, you know, for a, for a child. Yeah. We can't put that feather in our caps until, you know, we actually make it happen. Yeah. So, but I do think that we have, you know, love to give and education to impart and, you know, we're, we're getting older, but we're, we're still fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, I think we, uh, we add some liveliness to, uh, any social situation we're in. And, you know, I think we've had enough varied life experiences and just our experiences, you know, living in different places across the country and traveling and meeting people. And, you know, that I think we, we can add a lot of, uh, impart a lot of that to a young person. And I think it could be particularly important for somebody who has been struggling. If, if we happened upon somebody who'd been struggling because they're LGBTQ plus, I think it's important for them to hear that my very cool parents that were born, my adoptive parents that were born in the 1930s were going to be very supportive of me as a gay man. And what I mean by that is my adoptive dad, he and I talked about uh, pretty openly, you know, that I thought I was bisexual back then. Um, I, my, my mother, you know, told my father before she died when I was 10 that, you know, it didn't matter to her if I were, you know, gay or straight or bisexual or whatever. And so I think that could be really useful for a young person to hear, you know, that I experienced that wonderful sort of acceptance early, early on. And that no matter where you live, whether you're living in a really conservative place, you know, that there are people out there that will support you. Absolutely. And I think we're very fortunate that, you know, we both now have these large extended families that for absolutely the most part are super accepting and um, don't ask us to do things that would make us uncomfortable or don't bring this up, don't bring that up, that sort of thing. And so, you know, we do have a wealth of people in our lives that we could, you know, introduce a child to and, and help them, you know, realize mm -hmm. that, hey, not everybody's a jerk. Right. And shout out to my dad. Corey and I went with my sister, Monica, and our nephew, Gage, to see my dad yesterday. And I love that when he introduces us to people, he says, these are all my kids, you know, right. and it just, it warms my heart. He's only known us for you know, five years and he treats us really well. And I know he loves all of us. Yeah. I've never felt uncomfortable at all around any of the family that we found. 
you know, since we did this DNA discovery. So, I mean, I know we're fortunate there because that's not the case with everybody. We know from doing the show, that's not the case. Um, I see it every day in the social media support groups. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we know how fortunate we are. And, and I think that's, you know, part of the reason we're able to do this show and are able to kind of help people tell their stories. And so it's, you know, it's nice. It's been, this has not been, uh, while this has started out as sort of like a historical, you know, passion project for us to be able to capture Kendall's history, it's definitely um, gotten bigger into something else. Mm -hmm. One aside, um, I was recently asked by someone who uh, knows us in our private lives, uh, why I haven't had on any of my adoptive family cousins. And um, I I don't know how comfortable they'll be, but I am trying to reach out to a couple of them who might be really um, helpful in that they undoubtedly would remember more about my adoption, you know, than I, than of course I could, but um, they were my father's older nieces who um, were very supportive of my parents when I was um, born. And I think it'd be really interesting to a hear from them to, to get more detail than I remember and b possibly learn more things that I don't even know. And I know, you know, by the time you're listening to this, we're, uh, we're post Thanksgiving. In fact, you, you've probably digested all the Turkey and leftovers by now, but we're recording this the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And, you know, we're very, very thankful that we've been able to, um, grow an audience literally around the world. Um, I didn't know that people in Chechnya would be listening to us, but they are. So thank you for that. As much as we love Halloween, we love the holiday season so much as well. And uh, I think the nicest gift you could give this year would be to um, share this podcast with your friends and family. Even if they don't have an adoption or found family situation, I think that these uh, stories that that people are coming on and, and bearing their souls and sharing their heartbreak and healing, I think um, can definitely raise people's spirits this time of year. Yeah, I agree. Especially with people who uh, because of the pandemic, you know, are still feeling sort of isolated. I think it could be particularly important. Thanks for joining us on this journey and uh, please continue to do so as we hit the new year. Thanks a lot. Family Twist features original music from Cosmic Afterthoughts and is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. 